0: Welcome to the 262nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Karen Hugg, author of the new novel, The Forgetting Flower. Stay tuned for the interview. This episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro.fm. Libro.fm is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Support your favorite local bookstore, and you can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out the recommendations and curated list from the people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. There's a special offer now for reading and writing podcast listeners. Get three audiobooks for the price of one, 14 dollars with your first month of membership. Just use the code podcast. Again, that's Libro.fm, purchasing audiobooks from your local bookstore, and use the code RWPODCAST. Oh, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Karen Hugg, author of the new novel, The Forgetting Flower. Karen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Jeff.
0: Can you read a few pages from your novel, The Forgetting Flower?
1: Sure. I'll read from chapter one. Great. Rennie doubted her sister would answer, but every week she called anyway. That Friday, as the clerk packed up the plants, she stood at the wholesale counter waiting through the rings. One, two, three. By four, she knew chances were slim. When the voicemail clicked on, she knew nothing had changed in eight months. At the tone, she said warmly in Polish, steady, the fall perennials are in, new cultivars you'd find interesting. And the city, it's hot, but beautiful. The flowers and the squares have such bold colors. There's even a palm tree. So if you'd like to visit, please visit. Come. Let's talk things out, okay? She ended the call and headed to the metro, carrying her heavy crate of mums. She went down the stairs into the dim subway, smelling the stale air. "'ripe with dried urine and rotting food, "'telling herself Estera hadn't meant what she'd said. "'Never was a long time. "'Still, Renya couldn't escape the ache in her chest, "'so as she sat on the train, "'she focused on the little perennials she'd purchased. ten misty secrets, four javelins, six ruby gems. "'They were lovely chrysanthemums in fresh bloom "'without dry leaves or disease. "'They had been arranged in neat rows "'with newspaper in between to prevent tipping "'and keep the soil secure.' Their tidy cheeriness gave her relief from the untidy aspects of her own life. As she came out of the Saint-Germain-des-Prés station, she vowed to leave her longing behind and enjoy the summer day, the ornate buildings, cobbled sidewalks, the welcoming shade of a tree. At the cafe, a young couple read a book together as they ate lunch. Three businessmen climbed into a taxi, laughing about a missed flight. A grocer helped an elderly woman untangle her dog from a post. The scenes lightened her spirit, though she couldn't fully relax, couldn't fully exhale. Not yet, but at least she lived in Paris. She was about to cross the street and go into her plant shop when she noticed a dark spill on a building wall. Paint had rolled down the limestone in streaks, tarnishing the facade. Such a strange color, not bright like the Polish flag or carmine like military coats, but scarlet like the cordia cherry she ate as a girl in Krakow. She paused, shifted her crate, and touched the liquid, rolling it between her fingers. It was thin, with a weak metallic scent. Looking up, she saw it had spilled from a douzième etage apartment. The balcony door was open and a Rachmaninoff concerto stormed in the air. Through an iron railing, orange petunias jittered in the wind. That was Alain's apartment. Odd. He never opened his balcony door. She called his name, set a hand on her forehead to block the sun, waiting for him to come outside and apologize for knocking over a can of paint. Laugh off some clumsy thing he'd done, but he didn't. Instead, the trumpets blared, the piano banged, the violins swooned over rolling timpani. It was as if the music answered in a language she couldn't understand. Alain, it's Renia. No response. A rising panic swelled inside. Last month, he'd had that relapse, and he'd switched medications. He had wanted a natural cure. He'd tried St. John's Ward and Saffron and who knew what, but Renia knew there was no magic cure. Sometimes one simply had to change their attitude. She had, more or less. He'd wanted what was hidden in the atrium, and she'd helped him with it before, but she wasn't a doctor, and his condition was too serious for amateurs, and, oh, Lord, was it still there? Alain, come to the door, please. The blue sky sat like a giant shroud. The concerto roared, the number two, his favorite. The liquid streaks, so scarlet red. He couldn't have done it. He couldn't, but he might have. She strained to see through the balcony railing. There seemed to be a hand with fingers, an arm stretched out on the cement floor. Difficult to, what, was that an arm? Yes, it was an arm. Oh, hell. She turned and darted to the street, paused for a scooter to whiz by, and hurried to the door of Le Sanctuaire. She fumbled in her bag for the key to the shop and after a moment dropped the crate to better search. With dirt at her feet, she found it and stuck the antique trinket in the hole, jiggling while pulling the door in a stiff hold. Finally, the lock opened and she raced around the corner, raced around the counter to her phone by the computer. She dialed 112 and waited. The fountain at the room's center, a bowl with a goddess in her urn, trickled water like a pep talk. When the dispatcher answered, she explained that her neighbor, who lived at 35 Rue Seren, was bleeding and needed emergency care. The dispatcher asked questions about location and her name, but when the dispatcher asked how the man had been injured, Renia went mute, staring at the phone, unable to speak. How had he been injured? Renia knew how. At least she thought she did, but how to explain it, and did she want to? The goddess of the fountain stared with graceful ease as she poured her steady waterfall had decided she better not, because after all, she didn't know how or what had happened exactly, whether he'd gone mad or fallen asleep, or done the one thing he'd agreed not to do. No, she didn't know how he'd injured himself, but she had an idea. Please come, she said. There's blood.
0: Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your novel, The Forgetting Flower, yet, how would you describe it?
1: Well, what I usually tell people is it's a literary thriller about a woman who hides a dangerous plant in Paris and she gets mixed up with mobsters who want to sell the flowers on the black market. So that's the, that's the sort of short summary, (laughs) (laughs) but it's also about her and her sister and why she and her sister haven't spoken in eight months and, um, how she came to inherit this plant that releases a scent that uh, uh, makes a person who inhales the scent forget the last thing they thought of.
0: And so do you remember the original idea that led you to writing The Forgetting Flower?
1: Well, I I have worked as a professional gardener for some 15 years, and um, I was always... Uh, Advising clients about what plants to plant for fragrance. So, you know, what shrubs or flowers had a spicy scent, um, a woody scent, a sweet scent, a smoky scent, etc. And um, I started thinking about what would happen if a plant grew that had a scent that you couldn't inhale, that was dangerous to inhale. Not necessarily foul like the corpse plant, but actually dangerous. Um, and how would that happen? And how would it come into being in the world? You know, who, who would grow that? Um, and who would take care of it? Um, and so that was sort of the seed of the idea. Um, yeah.
0: And so when you were working as a gardener and a horticulturalist, did, did, um, were you writing fiction at the time? Were you thinking of ideas?
1: No, I actually wasn't. I was writing um, for, you know, local gardening newspapers and websites and things like that. And I was doing more um, how-to articles and that type of thing about plants. And um, it's funny because at the time, I didn't think plants were something um, valid to write about in fiction. Because I think that because they brought me such relaxation and pleasure and they're so pretty, um, that I just kind of thought, well, this isn't very interesting for for a fictional, (laughs) you know, um, premise or setting. Um, And then I finally realized, well, why do you keep going back to them? Why have you devoted your life to them? There must be something deeper, they must have a deeper allure. And what is that allure? And um, once I realized that there could be danger. There could be a a thrilling, uh, sort of, um, story that involved plants. Um, that's when I really started exploding with ideas and started, um, writing this novel, um, and another novel too at the time. So, Um, it was like, I, I finally allowed my, my passion to come into my fiction. And once I allowed that passion to seep into fiction, then the world sort of, you know, meshed and, um, I've been writing stories inspired by plants ever since.
0: (laughs) And so, so was there a point where you moved into fiction from nonfiction? What, what prompted that?
1: Um, well, I'd always written stories as a child and, um, before, uh, I guess I seriously moved into fiction. I had been working as a, a te- uh, an editor in high tech and, um, I, I found myself really drained and far away from writing fiction and sort of, um, yearn to get back there. Um, and had always loved reading books and stories and that type of thing. Um, but I think that I, I started kind of, Um, Moving back into fiction, once I left the high-tech world and started working with plants, um, that seemed more of a – writing story seemed sort of therapeutic and relaxing to me. Um, So I ended up going to – for my MFA, too, um, because after I left the high-tech world, I went to horticulture school, became um, a garden designer, opened my own business – but in, in winter, you know, there's, there's not much work. And so that's when I really started writing. And then I ended up going for my MFA um, and sort of kind of jumping headlong into it.
0: Gotcha. And so what kind of research did you do for writing your novel?
1: Well, <laughs> to be honest, I didn't do that much. Um, mm-hmm. I, it, because it is um, centered on a plant, Uh, The story is sort of centered on a plant called the violet smoke. Um, I already knew a lot about plants and botany and um, how, you know, what plants liked and how woody plants grow versus, versus herbaceous plants. And really, it was a matter of dreaming up a plant that couldn't exist. And so I used an African violet, which I have sort of this mild obsession with, Um, as the base plant for the imagined plant in the book, the speculative plant, I call it. Um, And a African violet is uh, is not really a woody plant, um, but what if it were, and so that was sort of the, the speculative, um, element that I, that I took to it. And what if it had a scent because sense plants have sense to attract pollinators, but African violets grow asexually. So they, they just put out little pups underneath. So that's another thing that doesn't make sense botanically about this plant. Um, so I, I guess I just drew on my experience, um, to create an anomaly and that's also part of the book is Renya doesn't know exactly what the plant is botanically and how dangerous it is, and so she seeks out uh, botanists from the local university to help her solve that part of the the puzzle.
0: And so, what was your writing process like for the Forgetting Flower? Did you outline the novel or write it more organically?
1: I did outline it. Um, I'm because I'm a garden designer. I'm very uh, you know sort of, I I work in terms of the whole picture, Um, you know, I like to see the cohesive whole picture before I start, and um, so first I created this character, Renya, I I thought about the plant, I thought about, you know, what if if the plant was taken care of by someone who didn't really want the plant in the first place, which is her situation, Uh, but she's caring for it as a promise to her sister, and so um, she kind of grew out of that, her sister grew out of that, And, um, uh, once I had the characters, um, and I knew that there, you know, really ultimately the book is about Renia coming to Paris to seek a better life. And so that better life, the, the old life she has, that's not so great happens in, or happened, I guess I should say in Poland. Um, she's from a, a working class background, much in a, in a tougher area of Krakow. And so that created a whole nother level of the book. What if the people from her past were, were pursuing her in some way? So once I had sort of the characters from her past, the characters of her present, um, I knew that there would be a conflict there. And so I also thought, well, if you have this plant that can erase a memory, that would be quite in demand. I mean, either for altruistic reasons or nefarious reasons, um, because, of course, people would like to maybe forget trauma or maybe some some less upstanding people would like to trick other people. Um, like if you owed someone a debt, maybe you would use the plant to to um, kind of erase that memory from their brain to, so that they wouldn't remember that you owe them money. Um, and. So then I um, plotted out the scenes in sort of a logical order. Um, I I just sort of went straight for a, if this happened, then this must happen. And if that happened, then this might happen. And if that happened, this might happen. So it was really a series of if-then statements in the beginning. Um, and also, I knew I wanted to tell the story of her and her sister's estrangement in a parallel way. As the book went on. So as the book moves in the present, it also moves forward in the past until those two, um, stories meet at the end at the climax of the book.
0: Great. Well, are you planning more horticultural thrillers?
1: Um, I am. In fact, I've already written the follow-up book to this one. Um, it's called Harvesting the Sky and it, it focuses on, uh, a botanist named Andre, who appears in this book. Um, uh, he's a character that Renya calls to um, help her uh, determine the origins of the plant. Um, and so the second book focuses on Andre discovering a rare uh, medicinal white apple in Kazakhstan and bringing that um, sapling and grafting more plants and growing those trees in Paris. Uh, but someone keeps van- trying to break into and vandalize his greenhouse, and he can't figure out why. Um, and so that story kind of launches from a point of the plant being uh, a sport of another plant, a a discovery rather than a hybrid, a man-made hybrid. Um, and it's kind of interesting because Kazakhstan is... The birthplace of the apple tree. That's what botanists think, anyway. And so, if you go to Kazakhstan, there are vast forests of uh, apple trees uh, that are all that have all come up from other mother plants. So they send out roots, they send up shoots, and those shoots turn into another tree. And then those roots send out more shoots and turn into another tree. And there's vast variations um, in these forests of apple trees. Um, and so that really captured my imagination for the second book.
0: That sounds really interesting. Um, actually, uh, it, it it prompts me to mention not because I'm I'm bragging or anything, but I think it, it would be of interest to you. I interviewed on this podcast, um, and I actually don't know off the top of my head. You'd have to go back and look in the archives. It was probably uh seven or eight or maybe 10 episodes ago um a writer Jonathan Drury and he wrote a non book called Around the World in 80 Trees. Oh. Um that I think you would be really interested in and he basically oh. does all of this research and uh, writes about 80 different trees and and it's, you know, a lot of historical detail as well. So anyway,
1: that oh, neat. would
0: be of interest. Um, so I noticed that you're an active blogger at your website karenhug.com. How does blogging fit into your overall writing?
1: Well, blogging is kind of um where I talk with readers. Um and I've found that a lot of people are interested in France and Paris. Um, and I know a little something about that. Um, I lived there briefly when I was a high tech editor. Um, <clears throat> so I and Paris is one of my passions. And that's why I set this book there. Um, so uh, I found that people are interested in hearing about Paris and some of, you know, occasionally I'll write about a garden I know about um, that type of thing. Um and I also write about books and review other people's books who I admire and have enjoyed um, and occasionally have little author interviews myself. And then I also have things for writers on the blog about thing you know, just outlining discoveries I've made about my author journey and um just in terms of the writing process, the creative process, um getting organized, um, getting your blog going um what i 've learned about NaNoWriMo, <laughs> um <laughs> what i 've learned about uh creating an author brand um and that type of thing so i have my blog is sort of broken up into for readers for writers for people who are interested in plants for people who are interested in france and paris <laughs> um so and that 's kind of in a nutshell who I am so right. <laughs> that 's kind of i guess the blog is sort of like um the different sides of me that I share with people
0: sure so what advice do you have for aspiring writers who may be starting to write their own stories or novels
1: yeah um, well <laughs> um, you know writing is a long road I guess I would say that first um, and um, but you know I, I guess it, most people come to writing fiction anyway um, as sort of a, of, you know, an escape or, a, or a, or you know, just sort of a relaxing hobby. And I encourage people to hang on to that, the aspect that they love about it, um, where you get to dream inside of a different world. Um, and that to me is what's most pleasurable about writing. That's, that's why I wrote this. That's why I set this novel in France, because I thought, well, if I'm going to think about this thing for years, I want to think about the places that I love. And so, Excuse me. That's why I put. uh, That's why I said it in Paris because there is no other city that I'd rather think about over and over again (laughs) than that city. So um, I encourage people to take their passions and put those on the page because when people, you know, see that that comes through for readers Um, when you when you put put your loves and what you have your deepest feelings about on the page that shines through. And that's what really makes your prose special. Um, I would also say that people, um, that writers should, should just keep revising. I mean, to me, I, there's a lot of talk about like, Oh, I wrote 3000 words today or whatever, which is great. But I think that the quality of those words is paramount. Um, and revising is so, so uh, critical to that, to make all the the sentences sing for every word to count. Um, and just when you think you've done it enough, you have to go back and do it again. You know, like you, I, I doubt myself a lot in terms of how good it is. Is it good enough? You know, and um, I think that that drive will help um, a writer achieve quality. Um, so. I guess those are the thir- first thoughts that come to mind.
0: Sure. So what books, fiction or nonfiction, have you read recently that made an impression on you and that you would recommend?
1: Oh, wow. Well, right now, um, I'm reading the uh, Sue Burke's Interference, which is a science fiction book, um, which is features a plant uh, that is sentient. So the plant narrates sections of her books. <laughs> um, and if you are interested in that type of thing, if they are interested in plants and, and sort of the, their own lives, I guess, for lack of a better word, or what their perspective might be on the world, um, read her books. Uh, her first book, uh, semiosis is really, um, steeped in that you learn about this stand of bamboo and how sophisticated it's become because it's been around, uh, for so long uh that it has evolved a kind of um nerve center, a kind of brain um and so that her work I find fascinating for that reason um, and then you know I would say uh, I love jeff vandermeer's work um Annihilation, which is about uh a section of Florida that has mutated um maybe because of government meddling. <laughs> you're not sure, uh, and a team of scientists go in to explore what happened there, and um, there there may or may not be a creature that is created from fungus and plant-like material uh, that has changed things there, um, which I, I find super interesting as well. Um, and then in terms of crime fiction, which is more about what this book, I would say my books are aligned with, um, uh, I love Tana French in general and just about anything she writes. Um, just her her ability to spin the world, to, to create the dream for readers is unmatched. And she does it while putting in uh, emotion. And uh, emotion is so difficult to get on the page that I admire her ability to, um, you know, just just paint the world for me while creating these characters that seem so alive um so I guess recently I mean, I would say those those three writers have been been um influencing me for years, and I guess just recently as well, so
0: great, well, again, we've been speaking with Karen Hugg, author of the new novel, The Forgetting Flower. The book is in bookstores now, so go grab a copy or download the ebook. And Karen, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff. I enjoyed it.
0: Great. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you.